In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Twelve days ago, on March 23rd, a cargo ship from, sailing from the Far East to the Netherlands ran aground in the Suez Canal and blocked the whole channel. The ship was called the Ever Given, and it was stuck, it felt like it was Ever Given, it was stuck for six days uh, before salvage crews finally freed it on Monday of Holy Week. Poor visibility and high winds from a sandstorm in northern Egypt had caused it uh, to um, run aground. And a spokesman for the canal authority said that the storm caused an inability to direct the ship, which is like the most obvious thing of all time. So you had to see this. It was all over the news. This thing was huge. It weighed 220,000 tons almost a quarter of a mile long, as long as four soccer fields, and it blocked the whole canal. There were hundreds of ships that were stranded on either end of the canal, and because something like 90% of the world's goods still travel by ship, the Suez Canal became a choke point that threatened this entire system of shipping in, America, in, in the world. And nobody knew exactly how to move this thing. So Slate Magazine decided they would ask some children how they would move it. So Max, who is 12, said, just turn it. Yeah, that's a great idea, Max. Uh, Theo, Theo, who was six, said they should get giant oars and row it. Dominic who was nine, said, push it. And then when they said, push it with what? He said, I don't know, get a giant hunk of metal, get a bunch of pistons. That's a great idea. Uh, Nina, who was eight, actually got the closest. She said, what's it stuck on, sand? They should move the sand. Listen, listen to this guy. This is Teddy, who's four years old. He said, they need a crane and a rope and a ramp and a car. So the car will run on the ramp and cut the rope and land on the boat with a crash. This will bump the boat back into the sea. If that doesn't work, we just add another car. Double force. So that kid will be an engineer or a stunt driver. But my favorite of all of these kids uh, in the article that I read was Harper. And Harper's 13 years old. Harper said, here's what I think they should do. They should get everyone in Egypt... And everyone brings their own rope. And they tie all the ropes along the side of the boat, and everyone pulls as hard as they can. If we get all the people in Egypt, the weight can turn it, and then they can steer the boat. Ultimately, it took six days, and an army of engineers and tugboats and dredgers, plus a full moon and an especially high tide, to float this ship and get it free. The cost of the accident may well be more than a billion dollars. And when it was done, the canal workers celebrated. Now, the paper said, tugboat horns blared and shouts of joy echoed in the desert dark. Hold that thought. The events of the last three days... Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, 
G.K. Chesterton called it the strangest story ever told. And a preacher's job is to explain all of it in under 10 minutes, which is not going to happen because I'm not that good of a preacher. But I will count it a win if you take away just one single word from what I say. Hope. Easter means hope. But hope was most certainly not what Mary Magdalene took to the tomb early on the first day of the week. She went with Salome and then Mary, the mother of James. They brought spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. John tells us that it was still dark when they went to the tomb. Dark both because the sun hadn't arisen and also because their hope was gone. And oh, how they had hoped. I love the, the line from the Emmaus disciples when Jesus is walking with them and they say, but we had hoped. They had hoped for deliverance, for freedom, for Jesus to change the world. And now all of their hopes lay shattered at their feet. So Mary went to the tomb to anoint Jesus, but she also went to weep. Because that's what you do with lost, shattered dreams. You weep. But when they got there, something wasn't right. The stone, the stone had been rolled away, and when they went in, the, the tomb was empty. The body was gone. It's a great piece in today's New York Times by Father Esau Macaulay. And he says, the women didn't go to the tomb looking for hope. They were searching for a place to grieve. They wanted to be left alone in despair. The terrifying prospect of Easter is that God called these women to return to the same world that crucified Jesus with a very dangerous gift, hope in the power of God. The unending reservoir of forgiveness and abundance of love. It would make them seem like fools. Who could believe such a thing? Christians at their best are the fools who dare believe in God's power to call dead things to life. Easter makes us fools who dare to believe in God. Easter means hope. And hope, by the way, even when it seems like a fool's bet, even when all of the evidence is to the contrary, today the world is still despairing. We still grieve the loss of millions of lives for the past 12 months. And in a lot of ways, it's still dark today. I mean, even just this past week, every day saw 500,000 new cases and 10,000 new deaths from the coronavirus. And last week alone, there were eight mass shootings in the United States. There's racial injustice, economic disparity, natural disasters, depression, addiction, isolation. Hope seems like too weak a word. Hope seems too weak a talisman to walk into the world that we're called to walk into with. But the thing about hope 
is what matters isn't the one who hopes. It is the one that the hope is in. Dr. Jessica Hooten Wilson is a scholar in residence at the University of Dallas. I read an article that she wrote last week. She said, hope is not a tame thing. Rather, it is blessedly dangerous when it is rightly, righteously, placed in the God who doles it out. For hope sees the promised future of what is to come, and the person who practices such hope will not be stopped from trying to bring this vision to completion. For the God of hope pours out this gift for His people, that they may receive and then embody that hope in the world. We must not settle by placing hope in our own dreams, which are too small and vanish too quickly under pressure. Nor should we succumb to the world's vision of hope, flimsy utopias of houses of gold and every kid with an iPad. God's imagination grants us a larger hope. One where, yes, as Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed, black people and white people will hold hands. And yes, as St. John's Revelation suggests, there will be no more tears. But even more than that, it is a hope that, as Isaiah said, the lion will coddle the lamb. Power structures will be undone. Injustice will be demolished. Mercy and grace and beauty will prevail. We will see reality as God sees it. As we journey toward heaven, we must not keep these revelations to ourselves, for we are called to share the hope we have been given. Easter means hope. It means hope for the whole world. But one last point. What about for us, for you and for me, for individuals? There's one thing I hear from clergy and staff in our diocese and from pastors all over the world, uh, the country. I don't talk to pastors all over the world, just uh, the southeast. So the pastors that I know, they all tell me how tired everyone is. They're just exhausted. And it's not just clergy, it's everybody. I mean... For clergy, the last 12 months, we've taken church online. We've tried to hold community together when people are quarantined. We've been anxious about finances. We've been locked out of hospitals where we want to be to minister to the people that God has given us to love. But all of us are tired. All of us are afraid that we cannot make it to the other side the other side of whatever wall it is that we find ourselves behind. That's why Jessica uh, uh, Hawona Sullivan Jansen wrote a poem. Every good Easter homily has to have a poem. Um, this is called The Other Side. There's a place on the other side of where we are now. Christ will meet you there. There's a hope on the other side of these lost dreams. You will find a little place along hope's shore where we can go to dream anew. Don't worry on the days when you cannot make it. 
He will come back as many times as it takes to find you. Easter means that He came back. He always comes back as many times as it takes to find you. You know, our dilemma before the first Easter was a lot worse, even more impossible than just a massive ship across a canal. Banished from Eden, we were enemies of God with our clenched fists held to heaven. And this immovable object, our sinfulness and the death that it brought into the world stood between us and God and blocked any passage. And what's worse, there was nothing that we could do about it. Not one thing. 13-year-old Harper's idea that everyone just brings their own rope and pulls as hard as they can was not going to get it done. So Jesus did it for us. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And from his death, life. Out of darkness, light, and from fear, hope. Easter means hope. So today, my friends, let our bells sound out like tugboat horns. And our alleluias like shouts of joy in the desert dark. For the immovable object has been carried away, and the channel of grace is free again. Alleluia! Christ is risen! The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia! In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.